You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing, monthly, and extremely nerdy conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, discussing the way these movies have shaped us and our imaginations. Hopefully, along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun, too. Get ready to yawn at your podcast player, because there are two indelible rules in podcasting, and the first is always leave your audience wanting more. But... Michael and I are completely ignoring that for a second time and continuing yet again with our wrap-up event. My own mother said to me at the end of our first wrap-up episode, what more could there be to discuss? (laughs) (laughs) If you're just tuning in, our first wrap-up episode, we discussed the most villainous villains and the most songly of songs. Last month, we discussed the most heroic heroes and love. And this month, we discuss source material, ranking the canon, our imaginations, and we keep moving forward. Joining me as always, as he so patiently does month in and month out, it's Dr. Michael Farmer. Hey, Michael. Hello, and uh, I apologize to our listeners for this posting a week late. That's my my fault, kind of. We had a house emergency, and there was a great deal of noise in the hallway outside of the room where I record this. So we decided it would be better to wait until that was over. Yes. But it's over now. That's over. The noise is over. They're still doing the renovations. Okay. All, all, all will be well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All things will be well. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, start with a little bit of follow-up. One more time. We got uh, one more follow-up on Gaston and this, and this, uh, the seven deadly sins. Man, the seven deadly sins really generated a lot of uh, conversation. I love it. So thank you again to Nathan Gilmore for posing this question. So um, friend of the show, Karis, says she disagrees that Gaston's deadliest sin is lust because he seems entirely motivated by pride. And mm-hmm. the only reason that he wants Belle is not in any sort of sexual lusty way, but because she's the best thing in town and he believes he deserves the best, <laughs> the very best of everything. And near the end, he only wants Belle, so um, Beast can't have her. And when she said this, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, one of my criticisms of other Disney critics uh, is when they fall into the trap of not really closely paying attention to the movies themselves and kind of just the cultural zeitgeist idea of the movie. And I was like, I wonder if I fell into my own trap with Gaston. I didn't really go back to the source material. I just kind of went with the, uh, you know, uh, the idea of, oh, yeah, Gaston, you know, once belt, uh, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you, I, I think, think it's a very good comment that, that his lust is kind of secondary. Yeah. So if it's even, I don't think it's really even, I mean, I haven't gone back to watch Beauty and the Beast still, but when uh, she was telling me this, I was thinking, yeah, if I go back and watch the movie or even think through the movie, it's it's not like he's lustily leering at her or anything like that, you know. Um, it's It does seem to be much more about pride, so. 
I think it is a very good point. The chief of sins. The chief of sins. All right. Um, so a couple questions. Um, I don't have the names on all these, so I apologize. If you sent this in and I didn't mispronounce your name last time, uh, go back to episode two. I, I, I mispronounced all the names in, in episode two, so go back there. Um, assuming it could be produced to the standard of Disney's greatest films, what classic fairy tale or literary work would y'all like them like to see them adapt? And um, I'll, I'll start with this, Michael. I'll give you yeah, please right here. So I thought this is such a hard question for me because I really tend to dislike adaptations if I'm familiar with the source material. <laughs> so if I like know the source material before I see the movie, then I tend to not like the movie. I'm always I'm one of those. The book is better, you know. Um, and then second to this question is I feel like some of Disney's Disney is really good at adapting terrible things like case in point is Pinocchio, which is just awful. <laughs> right. Um, and they adapted it into something quite wonderful. Um, so I'm going to cheat a little bit on my answer because of those two things. Um, and I'm going to say uh, there was a movie in production at Disney that got abandoned back in the. Uh, 50s and 60s called uh, Chanticleer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. um, based on the, it's a French play. Michael, do you know Chanticleer? Uh, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a play. I know that it. It's an old folk tale, and it shows up in the Canterbury Tales. I think it's the nuns' priest tale. Okay. But Chaucer didn't invent it. Okay. So it probably was French in origin, if I had to guess. But it's a. Uh, um. It's it's pre-Chaucerian, so that would be pre-1400. Yeah. So if anybody um, wants to, they could, they, they, you know, you can go to your search engine of choice and, and put in um, Chanticleer concept art because they did do a lot of concept art for it. And I know concept art doesn't make a great movie, but the concept art is beautiful. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and say that. And then my um, second answer on that one would be, um, you know, I, I actually was very surprised by how much I liked The Black Cauldron after hearing how terrible it was. And I, so, like, if I was just rewriting history and Disney was producing things at the, the top of their game, like, I think potentially that um, that Chronicles of Prydain, Prydain, I don't know if, how, if I'm pronouncing that right either, could be really, could potentially be really good. So going um, back and doing the rest of those books. Yeah. Like, that was the plan originally, right? I believe so, yeah. And I and I haven't read those books, so that that you know saves me from the um, you know like being more familiar with the source material first. I, my my plan since <laughs> way back when, since we uh, watched the Black Cauldron, was to read those books. I think I even bought one of them and have it on my shelf, but um, I don't I haven't read it yet. So um, I would like to still read the Chronicles of Prydain, but I haven't read them. So my favorite fairy tale when I was a kid was the Musicians of Bremen about the uh, the animals who, for various reasons, run away from their farm to become traveling musicians, and they end up foiling a robbery in Bremen. And I, I think a certain period of Disney would probably have been... Re I wouldn't trust them to do it now. I, I would be terrified to know what sort, of, <laughs> what sort of allegory they would turn the musicians of Bremen into. But maybe like early 60s Disney, in the mm -hmm. early Xerox period, handling yeah. the musicians of Bremen or maybe like mid fifties, maybe as like a follow up to lady in the tramp. I mm -hmm. would be interested. I, I would have been interested in seeing them do something like that. Yeah. And, uh, our, our next iteration of this show is going to be reading some of those classic, 
uh, fairy tales and folk tales. Right, and we're starting with Grimm's. Um, it just seemed like the the most reasonable place to start, and so well, I'm sure we'll cover musicians of Rimen because that's one of the that's one of the Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah, and we so we may come up with a better answer to this question <laughs> as we go through those. You know, maybe like, oh, this this would have been a great thing for Disney to do in the 50s or 60s. But um, all right, next question is uh, continuing on this myth and folktale vein. Is that myth and folktales tend not to have a, a single official version the way that novels and other modern published narratives do? So, what does Disney or sorry, what do Disney films gain and lose? when they derive from those different kinds of source material. Um, I, I think that's a really good point. And it's it's one reason why I don't get as uptight as some people do about them violating the source material. I know that that's a big deal for some people that like the Grimm's versions are so much darker um, than the Disney versions, but the Grimm's versions are just versions and they tell you a lot about the society that produces them and the kind of sociological reading of fairy tales. And I, you know, I, I think there's reasons to say that this version or that version is better, but I, I do think it's probably helpful to think of some of these, um, s- some of these new versions from Disney or from whoever else. Um, to think of them as as operating in the same tradition that produced those to begin with. Now, um, I say that despite having been down um, in the last couple of years on the show, uh, being down on mass cult, um, because the the truth is the Disney versions are not folk tales anymore because they're they're not arising naturally out of a um, a population, right? That they're being they're being created and pushed on uh, a mass audience by a multinational corporation. So in the, in that sense, I think they do probably lose something. But the, the problem is not so much that they're different from the source material. It's the, the mode by which they're produced that I think leaves kind of a bad taste in my mouth from time to time. Yeah. And what you said there about them, like, like folk tales and fairy tales kind of um, – speaking to their cultural moment um like do you have more to say about like how to draw that distinction between you know like as grims are collecting and retelling the tales um in their cultural moment versus the way uh a corporation is collecting and retelling tales in their cultural moment i think that's probably going to be a question for the next episode, once we start looking at the the Brothers Grimm, and I'm, I mean, I, we haven't talked about this at all, but I'm sure we're not going to read the entire collection um, for next episode. We'll probably do five or ten of them um, and, you know, stick with Grimm for, for some time. Um, I, I think that's that's probably going to be a question we ask as we go through, especially as we look at some of the, the ones. I'm sure we'll look at, you know, Snow White, for example, and look at the difference between how the Grimm's handle this and how um, – and and how Disney handles it, and I, I I think it is it is worth keeping in mind the kind of um, similarities between how the versions work and the difference in production and the difference in message, if you want to say message. And I, I also want to point out that I think it's perfectly legitimate to evaluate between the two to say, oh well, the Disney version is not as true to human existence or whatever as the Grimm's version is. I'm not trying to. Um, I'm not trying to let Disney off the hook for whatever they're doing. I'm just saying that changing it, um, changing it in and of itself doesn't bother me as much as it bothers, seems to bother some people. Yeah. 
And as I just said in my last, uh, in the answer to the last question there, I am, I am one who, for whatever reason, is bothered by, like, when I'm really familiar with the source material and they change it, like, I just, I don't like it. Like, don't get me started on um, the two towers, for example. Um, well, but, but also, Josh, I would say the two towers is a different situation because that is the product of one person's mind producing the two towers. There's not... 15 different versions of the two towers and Peter Jackson's is just another version. Um, whereas with the folk tales, these fairy tales, there is no standard version. There's 10 standard versions. And I think right. depending on the edition of the Grimm's you get, even, um, even the, the Grimm's include more than one version of the various stories. So I, I would say that there's a difference between what they do to Snow White and what they do to uh, Mr. Toad, for example. Um, yeah. Because Mr. Toad is another thing that's coming from one person not that long ago. Um, and, uh, and, and of which there is a very, very clear er text. Yeah. So I, 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 do think, I do think there's a difference there. Yeah. But then what I would add to that is that somehow uh, Disney seems to make their best movies from what you would maybe call uh, a lousy source. <laughs> so like Pinocchio, I know I already mentioned Pinocchio, um, but I mean, you and I both read Pinocchio. I think you said at the time it was the worst novel you'd ever read, right? <laughs> it, it is truly, truly terrible. And I know that there are people whom I respect who disagree very much with that. And so maybe yeah. I'm missing something. Maybe I need to go back to the Carlo Collodi. And, and I mean, maybe the issue is I was expecting the Disney version. And so the the novel threw me off. I've also told yeah. that the version, I heard this just a few weeks ago, that the version we read has been weirdly translated in order to remove some of the more obvious religious elements to Pinocchio. But I don't know if that's true or not. I don't read Italian. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, Bambi is another one that, that I love. I, I didn't even get through the book. Um, did you read Bambi, the book? Uh, I think I read about half of it. Yeah. The book is so, even more pagan than the movie. Yeah, I mean, well, I just remember it being hard to get through, you know, like, I, I don't know, it was kind of a, <laughs> it was kind of a slog, you know, um, maybe I should give it another chance. Um, even like 101 Dalmatians is a, is a okay book, but it doesn't t like touch the movie for its greatness, you know, so I, I think sometimes they, they can adapt novels in, you know, in, to make them something better than they were. And I'm sure you know, people say the same about the two towers, for example. Like, I'm sure there are people who say, you know, this is this is way better than the book. I think those people are, you know, that that's not for me. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'd be friends with any of those people. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's why that's why the the argument can be interesting. Um, that's why it's worth arguing over. Like, what are we missing when these things get um, when these things get adapted, and what are we perhaps what are we gaining? I don't know. I'm sure I, I know for a fact that the hardcore fans of the Carlo Collodi Pinocchio hate the Disney movie. And um, I, I think we talked about it in the very first episode, Tolkien and Lewis both hated the Disney Snow White. Right. Yeah, they did. They didn't like they didn't like how he treated the dwarves. <laughs> so. Which the more things uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. Given the current conversations about the live action uh Snow White and the they're not even calling it Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs anymore because they're not going to be dwarfs. Mm. 
I, I, I'm happy to say that I've, uh, this is the most that I've heard of that conversation. <laughs> so, I'm not, I'm not aware of the, the current, um, whatever, uh, whatever is going on with that. So as usual, consider yourself lucky for that. I do. Um, all right. Well, that, that flows right into our next question, which is the best and worst adaptations and which i found you know like i think the, the <laughs> we, we got to start with defining like how do we define best you know um i was thinking uh something where it's and this i guess this this uh this shows my biases so right? like um best is when it says stays truest to the source and also captures some of the the tone of the of the original source um so Maybe. what would you say? What would you say does that? Um, so I would say uh, Mr. Toad, which you just mentioned. Um, I think um, huh. you do. You disagree? I think I disagree. I reread um, Wind in the Willows last year, and I just I love it more every time I read it. And there's a there's a really weird, quiet mystery to that book that does not come through in the adaptation at all. As okay. much as I like the adaptation, so okay. so. Well, that, I that's guess... one where I would say it's a good adaptation in the sense that they take the the parts of the novel that that the, the movie adapts are, in my opinion, the weakest parts of the novel, and they make it pretty good, right? So, like the Mister Toad parts of um, of Wind in the Willows are the least memorable parts um, for whatever reason, but the movie takes them and turns them into something pretty interesting, pretty memorable. So, I would say in that sense, it's a good ad- adaptation, but I don't think they get the spirit. Of Wind in the Willows um, very well. I think I think they could readapt that, not touching the Mr. Toad parts, and make a whole new movie. You think about? Have you read that book, Josh? I I have, but it's been it's been a while. I read it to my kids like when they were really, or like my older daughters when they were really little. So it's been I, a while. I, I highly recommend it if any of our listeners haven't um, haven't read it. It's it's one of the best books about friendship ever written, and it's it's got that weird nineteenth, late nineteenth, early twentieth century. Um, set up where the most Im- the most important relationships in these guys' lives are other men, but it's not it's not homoerotic in any meaningful way. It was just like a, a weird quirk of of Victorian and Edwardian England is that men had these really intense relationships with other men that that kind of dwarfed their relationships with women. And and Win in the Willows really really gets at that. Um, and the the movie there's a little bit of that. And the the kind of presentations of the characters are very true to the book. But I would say there's there's a mystery to that book that just does not come through in the movie, um, which is not to say it's not a bad adaptation. I think I'm actually quarreling with your definition of a good adaptation. No, I think I think that's a really fair point. It's it's been a while since I've read it, and I actually just I mean the audience probably heard me typing in the background. I just added it when you mentioned Mr. Toad because I was like, oh yeah, that one's a good one too. So I didn't I didn't give it a lot of thought. Um, I would say Many Adventures in Winnie the Pooh is a pretty good adaptation. Catches the spirit in the tone. Haven't read the books. original, so I don't have a I don't have a strong opinion on that. Okay, uh, Sword in the Stone. Did you read the original of that one? The I mean I know there's a ton of. Uh, so so yes, I went back and read the T H White. Um, yeah. Once in Future King, I, I actually I when when we did that episode, you and Coyle basically convinced me to go read it. And uh, I loved it. I, I, you know, I don't like the movie and I liked the book so much that I was going to bring up the sword and the stone as maybe the worst adaptation. And that it takes this really <laughs> great source material and turns it into a mediocre movie. See, but that, we're, uh, and, but I like it. So that's what we, yeah, yeah, yeah. On that one. So, so yeah, but that's fair. And then, um, 
Peter Pan. It's been such a long time since I read the source material. I couldn't remember if it's if it's kind of as lighthearted as the movie or not. Um, and uh, Alice in Wonderland was the other one. That I was like, I maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I know Alice in Wonderland has a lot of more. Um, I don't know, like uh, literary and mathy and punny jokes <laughs> in the in the in the written one, you know, than the the movie. But I feel like the movie retains some of it. So. Um, anything to add to those, or should we go to worst? For, for best, now I haven't read the Basil of Baker Street books, but in terms of their relationship to the Sherlock Holmes books, I think the Great Mouse Detective gets a lot of what's fun about Sherlock Holmes um, down onto the page or onto the screen really, really well. Yeah. Um, um, and I assume I assume for that reason that it's a faithful adaptation of the the Eve Titus books, but I haven't read those, so I can't really speak to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, likewise, I haven't read them, so. Yeah. So we're uh, we're talking about worst ones now. Yeah, going to worst. Um, I just have two down here because, okay. like like I said, I think um, one, I'm not as familiar with a lot of the source material, and two, like, you know, sometimes their their adaptations make things a lot more enjoyable to me but i could see how somebody who's who's in love with the original <laughs> would would not like them you know but i think as far as making the source material worse would be the new winnie the pooh um which we talked about a little bit at the time like it does it just doesn't seem to capture that that feel or that sentiment of winnie the pooh at all and then <laughs> Chicken Little, I guess, is worse than Henny Penny. Um, I don't know. That, that movie is so, so weird, you know. I, I feel guess. like Chicken uh, Chicken Little barely has source material. Yeah, barely the, the has source material. The problem with Chicken barely Little has source material. is they already did so well with it, with that 1940s short, where they, they, they took the source material thin as it was, and they stuck to it. It was still a, a, a fairly faithful adaptation of that story. And they made it, um, about the Nazis. and they made it topical <laughs> in a way that wasn't obnoxious. Now maybe it would have been obnoxious if we'd seen it at a time when it was still topical. Maybe because we look at it as cultural history, it it doesn't bother me as much. But mm-hmm. um, I I thought I think part of the problem with Chicken Little is it has to compare to the short that's one of the best shorts they produced. How about yeah. Oliver and Company? I read Oliver Twist last Christmas, and I'm not a huge Dickens fan, but Oliver Twist is so much better than Oliver and Company. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good point. I haven't I have not read Oliver and Company either, uh, or sorry, I've not read. <laughs> you know what I meant? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that makes sense to me. I so. think it, I'm, when I'm when I'm looking at these, it it seems to me that the the shorter the source material, the easier it is to do a good adaptation of it. Yeah, oh, two two more that I should have added for good ones. Um, the Ichabod parts of uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow parts, mm-hmm. really terrific. And again, it it's not the tone of the story. I told that story several times now about being afraid of it and my my major professor making fun of me for that. Um, it 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 doesn't nail the tone, but it's so good. And um, Robin Hood, which I haven't read the original Robin Hood stories, but certainly it nails the tone of the Errol Flynn movies and I think it's better the movie and I think it's better than the Errol Flynn movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say Robin Hood is a, is a great example. 
Yeah. The, and that's uh, the reason I did include Robin Hood is because I'm, I'm really not like <laughs> that. Robin Hood is basically the only Robin Hood I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I haven't, I haven't, um, haven't delved into any of the others. So. All right. The next question then related. So this was the best and worst of their adaptations. And then somebody, I think the same person wanted to know what were their best and worst original movie or original idea movies, which I think this one's a little hard to define. Like on the on the Wikipedia page, if you go to the Wikipedia page for um, the list of Walt Disney Animated Studios films, it has actually a um, uh, a, a table with the film, the date, the director, the writer, and then what it's based on or inspired by. And there are several in there that say original or yeah. you know original screenplay or whatever. Um, so just going off of those, um, I I thought the the original ones tend to be the worst ones. If you yeah, if you they're look not at the they're not great. They're not great. Um, I think uh, Lilo and Stitch is is pretty good, and that's that one is based on a uh, I think it's based on like an abandoned children's book or something by but by the like by the director. You know, so that's yeah. basically an original. Yeah, I would I would call that an original. Um, how, oh, about, how about how about uh, Wreck It Ralph? Yep, uh, Wreck It Ralph. I think. Well, yeah, Wreck It Ralph. I think is is pretty good. Um, I really liked Encanto, and they have Encanto on here as original. But as far as worst, it's yeah, it's pretty much everything else. I think Disney <laughs> is definitely better when it has some source material, even as you said, even if it's super thin. Source material. Like Dumbo, right? Like, like the Dumbo source material yeah, is like, supposedly super thin. Yeah, but... Although Dumbo's almost an original. Wasn't that book written at the same time as the movie? It's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, like, I think it's it's like 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's technically based on a novel, but they wrote the novel at the same time they wrote the movie. Yeah. But I think... I think it was like a... I'm trying to remember clear back to our Dumbo episode where I did the research on this. I think it was like there was a toy... And the toy came with a little book or something. Yeah, and, it's, it's super thin. Yeah, so it's really thin source material. And, and I so I do think it was like at the same time, like they, but it wasn't like in conjunction with the movie. You know, like Disney Disney bought this toy or something for his kids and or something like that. You know, and then and then uh, got a hold of the rights immediately. You know, so not quite the same as two thousand one. I think there was a lot more collaboration, right? With 2001 between Kubrick yes, and uh, yes, uh, whatever his name is, Clark, Arthur Clark. C. Clark. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, okay, so related question is kind of so, but of these original, like quote unquote originals, um, do you still see you know known narratives in the background of those? I think this is kind of a hard question, but like, I guess I think maybe what they're getting at is like, what are the most original or creative of the movies? Um, because I mean, of course there's like what, the hero with a thousand faces or whatever, like all yeah, the, yeah. there's no such thing as a wholly original narrative, yeah. not the 21st century. Yeah. Or, you know, even, um, Ecclesiastes, right. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> so, I mean, in some so, ways there's always going to be some similarity somewhere, but like what, what, like when you look at all the movies we've watched, like which ones do you feel like really feel like a, like a new telling or original telling? I, I feel like Encanto, a movie that I don't love, um, although I think you talked to me into liking it more. Um, Encanto has a, a, a really wildly original story. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it needed six people to come up with it. Looking, looking at this <laughs> list on Wikipedia. <laughs> but um, like that, that's a really interesting story. I'm sure that I'm sure that we can go back and look at um, look at various sources for it. That it owes something to The Incredibles. Right, it owes something to uh, Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie, but um, you know, I think it's a I think it's a pretty cool original story. The 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 Ralph movies are you know because they because they are building on this um, because they're building on this medium that didn't exist until the 1970s. I think they can they can do a lot of they they can tell a lot of stories that really couldn't have been told before the 1970s and 1980s. Um, mm-hmm. And yet they, they too owe something to like, I'm trying to think of some good examples. Um, John Gardner's Grendel is a, is a novel that takes the story of Beowulf and tells it from the, where, where Grendel the monster is the, the kind of sympathetic character. Right. That's not exactly what Ralph breaks the internet is doing. And of course, Ralph breaks the internet. You have no pre, you have, you have no relationship with the character going in. So it's not exactly the same thing, but I mean, it, it, it clearly draws on the same wells as those kind of reinventions. Wicked is another good example. Gregory Maguire's wicked, mm-hmm. which became the, um, can the Broadway musical. That's so good. Yeah. Yep. What would you say? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I will say about Brother Bear is what I, I actually watched that one with my parents uh, when we were doing it for the for the episode, and we got to the end of it, and my dad said, "Man, that doesn't feel like any other Disney movie." <laughs> so <laughs> I guess as far as originality, it it definitely you know it it definitely strayed off the Disney formula. So. I guess I, I, I was going to say Bolt is original, but Bolt is the exact same plot as Tropic Thunder, which came out the same year. <laughs> did, I, did I mention that when we watched Bolt? I don't know. I'm not familiar with Tropic Thunder. But oh, Tropic Thunder is about these they're, – they're filming a war movie, and I can't remember the exact way it happens, but they, they end up in an actual war. It's Robert Downey Jr. is a, playing a character in blackface. Like, he's not wearing blackface. His character is wearing blackface. He's he's not playing a black character. He's playing a white right. character who's playing – yeah, you get what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that okay. that movie is going to get shown on TV much anymore is what I'm trying right. to say. Yes. I, I think it's I probably pretty hard to try. Yeah, I think probably I think you remember even at the time there's some hullabaloo about that. So um I'd I'd add Lilo and Stitch. I think we both really loved Lilo yeah. and Stitch. And, yeah, Lilo and, and Stitch is an original a, idea. It's pretty pretty wildly wildly original and creative. Or for that matter, it, this has it not based on anything, or it, I'm sorry, has it based on uh, an earlier movie that never actually happened, but the Emperor's New Groove is a um I I, I guess the the plot of that is not super original, but the um the kind of style of it is. It feels like a very different kind of movie than the other ones that we've talked about. Yeah. All right. Here's here's a tough que- another tough question. I feel like we've got a lot of tough questions in this, in this episode. Um, which of these movies has most shaped your imagination? So that's what we talk about is right how how these movies shaped our imagination. Which one do you think has most shaped your imagination? I think part of the reason why this is a tough question is because, um, and again, this goes back to some of our earliest episodes. Like there's there's a almost I don't know sinister is probably too hard a word, but there's like this quality to these things that shape us where 
you, it almost, it shapes you when your guard is down. So you almost like don't notice it, you know, and it just becomes part of your thinking and part of your subconsciousness. Right. So, um, right. In which case it's gotta be one that we watched when we were kids. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know that, um, for me, uh, like, uh, when it rains, the, the two songs that pop into my head are <laughs> the songs from the song about the rain, rain, rain coming down, down, down uh, from Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh or um, Little April Shower. Uh, yeah, Little April Showers from Bambi. I don't know if that means they shape my imagination, but those like pop into my head. But actually on the Winnie the Pooh one, I remember specifically on that episode, I think it was that episode um, that you mentioned like, you know, if you're outdoors and it's really windy and you think of it as blustery, blustery like totally... Yep it totally changes your attitude towards the day <laughs> because you think of it as blustery instead of like miserable and cold. And I mean, this, I think, uh, I don't know, were you, were you still living in Minnesota when we started this whole I thing? was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, um, I missed those blustery days. In yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, but I think that when you said that, that rang so true to me. So I would say like many adventures of Winnie the Pooh probably really shaped my imagination a lot. Uh, with that in mind, I wrote about this in um, the Fortnightly Review. I have an essay. This is from a couple of years ago called Calic Distance, which is a term I made up. As far as I can tell, I made it up. And I, one of the examples I used was um, was Peter Pan. Um, this this kind of feeling that that movie gives you for. Um, I'm actually looking up this essay so I can quote myself to you people. I'm so sorry for being such a. <laughs> Well, whatever. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> I've seen Disney's 1953 Peter Pan several dozen times in my life, and since childhood I've been substantially more interested in the parts of the movie set in London than in the parts in the children's fantasy of Neverland. After the sequence in which Wendy, John, and Michael fly with Peter off Big Ben, the movie comes substantially less appealing to me. Why, I've wondered since I had the words to adequately wonder it, would the darlings want to leave Edwardian Bloomsbury in favor of the silly world of stereotypical pirates and Indians? And so my point in this article, it's, it's something that, I mean, a rose in some way from the things we talked about on the show. Um, but my, my point is that because these things that are not particularly pleasant when you're up close to them get presented to you at a distance through art, you end up having this like deep um, love for them. My other example, or one of my other examples, is um, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Did you ever read that, Josh? Oh, yeah, definitely. So that's set in 1970s New York City, which, as we talked about with the Rescuers episode, is a scuzzy place that nobody would ever want to live. But I have this long, long infatuation with cities because of that book, because it it because it wasn't my experience. Right. I didn't get to mm -hmm. live in a high rise apartment where I had a doorman and an elevator to get to my house. And so reading about this kid who did like set up this version of the world for me. Um, that I, I've never been quite able to shake. I'm less interested in living in cities now, but um, I, I so I, I feel like I have to answer Peter Pan for that, um, which is, as you'll see, it's not high on my list. I don't think it's a great movie. And yet it clearly did something to me. And I would say the same for the Ichabod sections of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, like mm -hmm. any, any feeling I have toward colonial America is from, that short and from re reading um, Rip Van Winkle and, and the legend of sleepy hollow by, uh, by Washington Irving. Yeah. 
So and then uh, and then uh, probably a million others in ways that are not um, fruitful. You know, there's probably I, I watched The Little Mermaid 200 times when I was a kid. I'm sure it did uh, <laughs> not entirely good things from my relationship with authority. You know, right? Yeah. Well, that was the thing that was like in my mind was like that. There's there's probably yeah the Jungle Book. I mean, I watched the Jungle Book so many times. So there's, there's, it's got to be in there, you know, but I don't know exactly where it is in there, you know, but I, I know it's in there. I know it's in my personality. I know it's in my imagination. I know it's in the way I view the world, you know, but it's not in a way that I could necessarily articulate. Right, right. Which is, I mean, the, the point, right? It's the, the, it's, the pow- it's the power of this stuff that until you, until you sit down and try to tease it out, you don't even notice it. Yeah. You know, my family was out of town for a couple of weeks and they came back and they paid so much attention to our cats. And I said, I've never felt more like uh, the dad and Peter fan. <laughs> <laughs> so that one's definitely in shaping my imagination, too. Um, yeah. And then I think I will I would mention I know I mentioned this, uh, I think, last episode or maybe two episodes ago. Um, it must have been last episode when we were talking about heroes. Like, I think rewatching the rescuers as an adult, like um that's like my ambition to have the rescuer shape my imagination i don't know that it always does but like <laughs> that's who that's who you want to be is, yeah is that's the person who who yeah. was shaped by that movie yeah um all what right. a lovely thing to say josh i love that <laughs> um so which of these movies do you suspect oh which of, not yeah which i said it almost like i'm gonna make a list here <laughs> but which of these movies do you suspect has most shaped the imagination of the world you already mentioned it, so I'll throw it out there. I think The Little Mermaid has got to be one of the <laughs> top. For, for our generation, yeah. For absolutely. our generation, for sure. And in exactly like you said, not necessarily in good ways. I think everything that we were like found morally repensable, re, whatever, I can't pronounce words, um, about that film when we rewatched it um, as adults we're, <laughs> is all the stuff that you see in the world today, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think that I think that movie's had a, a tremendous effect on uh on uh millennials yeah and cuspers <laughs> yeah well anybody anybody who watched as a kid which means probably still people today kids today yeah and uh the hakuna matata sequence in the lion king <laughs> oh i wish people had a little bit more of a hakuna matata attitude toward the world right now oh you think so? i feel like feel like people worry and care too much yeah I don't know. It's a weird. Yeah, you're right. It's a weird. Your hatred for Hakuna Matata, though. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I respect it. Yeah, it does come up a lot. But it is. I, I don't know. There's there is that that abandonment of personal responsibility and just like general entitlement or something, you know, that I feel like Hakuna Matata is it shows off. So what's uh, the is it maybe is not it from. So much. Is it from Fun and Fancy Free, The World Owes Me a Living? <laughs> it might be, yeah. What is, what is that? I can hear Goofy singing it in my head. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that's from. The World Owes Me a Living. Uh, Maybe I've just made it up. Oh, you know what it is? It's um, it's not Goofy. It's I just looked it up. It's from one of the Silly Symphonies. It's the Ant and the Grasshopper. Oh, silly okay. Symphonies. But it's associated with Goofy. Huh. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. The world owes me a living. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Yeah. 
What's, right, what's, what's the number one thing that a Disney movie should do to the audience? Entertain them. Like that, that's got to be number one. Number two, I would say, is probably let them go back to the real world and see it in a way they hadn't before. But that, that is, I think, what all art should ultimately do. It should, oh, yeah. it, should, it should allow you to return to a world that is familiar to you and make it unfamiliar in a positive way. Yeah, I really like that. Return to the world in a positive way. Yep. Um, I said, give the family something beautiful to talk about. <laughs> I, I like that, too. So. Okay, and but, then... I mean, first, first and foremost, it's got to entertain, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... They're not the, making high art here. No, they're not making high art. And even high art, when they... Well, I don't know. I don't know how how I feel about I, I'm not an art historian or anything, you know. It I entertains guess in a certain way, right? It delights, but yeah. the thing about high art is you submit yourself to it, probably not being entertained at first. You don't like classical music until you like classical music. Right. Disney movies, with a few exceptions, should not have to be like that. They should right. be immediately appealing to people. Yeah. And there's a value, right? There's a value to the immediately appealing. It's not you're not necessarily setting one against the other there. No, not necessarily. Um, yeah, I feel like there's more to say there, but I, I'm not intelligent enough to say it. Um, what elements should Disney hang on to, and what should they shed? Huh. I said they should shed capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they should shed the entire corporate structure of their company. I feel like most of the problems that we've had have been a result of, of kind of top-down management type stuff. Yeah, there's some sort of partnership that needs to happen because, like you said, they're not making high art, and it is entertainment. Um, and it's pop-culturally entertainment, which I think, there's there's room for right there's room in the world for for something like that especially if it does the things that you just said you know like returning to the world with a with a more positive returning to the familiar with a with a more positive view of it like i i think that's that's really a a noble goal that even pop art can achieve you know yeah um so like I, i i do think there's room for that and in order to do that, there has to be some sort of, you know, uh, money-making aspect to it, right? Like, there's there's some sort of patronage of the artist that needs to happen. But I feel like, um, you know, and we, we probably beat this to, to death in our, our first episode, but, like, there was some sort of, like, uh, time when the, when the movies started becoming about making money <laughs> instead of you know, about making enough money to make the next movie or whatever, you know? So, like, there does need to be some sort of partnership there. But I, I don't know. It, it feels out of balance right now to me. Yeah. And it also feels a little bit like, I mean, particularly with the the last few movies that were not the last few, but, like, particularly, like, Zootopia and Strange World are the two that immediately come to mind, like, where there's, like, this this message in them you know yeah uh, yeah this the, yeah this kind of trendy center center liberal center left message 
Yeah, which is where like the things I think they need to hang on to is more of like a timelessness. Like I think there's a there's a timeless like they used to advertise their movies that way, you know, like the timeless tale of da 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 da. You know, right. like, there's I nothing think, timeless about Zootopia. Right, exactly. So I think they should hang on to timelessness, hang on to beauty, hang on to variety. Like I I think it's okay that not every Disney movie is a musical or not every Disney movie has animals and clothing or whatever you know not every disney movie has a princess like i think that's fine like hang on to the variety there's i, a I lot wish of, they there's would, a lot of stories to tell but i wish they would move to seeing not every disney movie as for everyone um to try rather than trying to capture the largest possible market maybe reduce the price of some of these movies i don't know how you do that but you reduce the price and understand that they're not going to appeal to all four quarter, uh, quadrants of your of your market yeah, and that's okay. But, Would you say uh, that's that's okay because of the way the the world has changed, or is that like because I mean like I'm the, when I say that I mean like it seems like we've we've got to a place where all entertainment seems to be more niche in a way, except know? except big budget movies, right. Which, which, because they cost $300 million, have to make a billion dollars to make back all their budgets. Yeah. So when you have these, these they have to appeal to everyone, not, not just men and women, boys and girls, everyone in every country, you know? Yeah. It's, it'd we... be interesting to see the movie industry change because um, in addition to the strikes, this has been a summer where there were huge tentpole movies that flopped, like basically every huge tentpole movie. Flopped. The Flash, Indiana Jones. Um, I think uh, the uh, Spider Verse movie did okay, but there's been several other like uh, the New Fast and the Furies. These huge movies that are supposed to be sure things mm-hmm. are flopping, and it it may result. One one theory is it may result in in like smaller budget movies because it's easier to recoup your advances. Now, I mean something like Oppenheimer, which was a hit. Oppenheimer is not a small budget movie. It costs a hundred million dollars. But when you're looking at other movies that cost 200 million, mm-hmm. you know, hundred million is small. I don't know. Do, I don't have a sense of the budgets of any of these movies. Let's look up the budget of strange world. Yeah. I really don't know either. I guess what I was getting at was like 135 to $180 million. Wow. Yeah. Now what if, so it made 73.6. So, like, what if that movie, what if they had known it wouldn't appeal to everyone, mm-hmm. had marketed only towards certain groups of people, and it had cost $30 million instead of $130 million? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have a sense of whether they could have even made that movie for that amount of money. I don't, I don't have a sense of where that money goes to. But I, I, I feel like if you look at the movies we've really liked from the last 20 years, they, they tend to be the smaller, weirder movies like like Lilo and Stitch like um like Emperor's New Groove think about what how how the collapse of the Disney Renaissance led to smaller weirder movies I would like to see them return to smaller weirder movies and yeah. as opposed to having these things that have to make I mean you're supposed to double or triple the stated budget to figure out how much it actually cost with all the um marketing so I mean think about it for for Strange World to make its money back at 180 million dollars, it would have had to make almost 600 million dollars. It made 73 million dollars at the at the box office. Yeah, that's an order of magnitude short. Right. Um. Yeah, it's crazy. 
I don't disagree with you on the smaller, weirder movies. I'm just trying to figure out how that works with also making something that's like, um, like I, I, there's, I feel like there's just not a ton. Like you said a moment ago, like it's only the big uh, blockbuster movies that seem to be anything in our culture that everybody can point to and say like, yeah, we are all part of that. You know, like <laughs> this is this is all of us, you know, and right. I feel like Disney is still, you know, Disney, Pixar, you know, uh, are one of those things where it's for everybody, you know. So like, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a there's some sort of balance there that I don't have an, an answer to. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to our main event here, Michael. Oh, before we get to the main event, I promised you something last month that I wanted to fulfill. Oh, yeah, I told yeah, you I'm I would, sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 I told you I would be back with the perfect <laughs> seven short package film. Right. And then I forgot to do it. And now I've already and then and then at the beginning of the episode you said you were gonna you were gonna do that and then I already forgot again. So I apologize. I I'm really uh, for some reason well, that's, our, that's not holding on to that, this. I, I tried to present this in such a way that I was the only one who had to do it, and that way you wouldn't look foolish, Josh. <laughs> but you, no. you have too much integrity to allow me to do that. <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah. All right. So go ahead, and then if, if there's any that you that you leave out that I feel ought to be mentioned, I'll throw them back in. Okay. So I put these in the order that I would put them in in the package film. Oh, I like that. It's like a mixtape. Right. Yeah, right, right. So we're going to start with Peter and the Wolf from Make Mine Music. Then Rhapsody in Blue from Fantasia 2000. Mm-hmm. Then Two Silhouettes from Make My Music. Now, Two Silhouettes is definitely the weakest short in this. On the other hand, it's the most atypical short. Like, it, it's something experimental they were doing during a time when they didn't experiment a lot, and I wanted to reward that. So Two Silhouettes uses uh, Rotoscope, I think is what it's called, where you have actual people and they're drawing a cartoon around them. So I, it's a short, it's a, it's a short, um, short, it's, it's not very long and it's weird. And I wanted at least something on here that was experimental, although there's another one later on that's experimental. So we got Peter and the Wolf, Rhapsody in Blue, Two Silhouettes. Then Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill. And I've got those back to back. I'm not totally sure they should be. Those are both from Melody Time. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Aqualera del Brazil, which um, is also wildly experimental. Yeah. And, and we end with Night on Bald Mountain slash Ave Maria from Fantasia. Okay. I was wondering if you were going to do any from Fantasia. I went back and forth on whether I should or not, because Fantasia is kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But ultimately, I decided I wanted Rhapsody in Blue in there, and I said, "Oh, if yeah, I have Rhap- right. you started with that one. I'm sorry. Not if I have Rhapsody in Blue in there, I've got to have something from um, the other Fantasia as well." And I thought, what better way to end than with that beautiful Ave Maria sequence after Night on Bald Mountain? Yeah, Night on Bald Mountain is so so wonderful. So well done. Michael. I'm sorry that I left out the adventures of Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet. <laughs> and the whale wanted to sing at the Met, and uh, yes. what were some of the other like truly bizarre ones? The "You Belong to My Heart." Uh huh. Yeah, the whale, the whale who wanted to sing at the Met, I remember really enjoying. Uh, Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Fedora, I do not remember enjoying. I remember uh, not not being impressed by that. But. Johnny Fedora is is among the worst things they've produced, I think. Yeah. Um, no offense to the Andrews sisters. <laughs> That's right. No offense to the Andrews sisters. Um. 
yeah, I think you got I think you got all the main ones there. Uh, I'm trying to. I'll, I'm sure I'll think of one after after the show, or I won't you know, because I'll, I I'll forget. I'll forget this whole thing even happened again. So <laughs> I, I I meant to look and see what the timing is on this and how long a movie I've made because Johnny Appleseed, Pecos Bill, and Peter and the Wolf are all pretty long. Yeah, they are. It's true. So is Night in Bald Mountain. So I might have a two-hour movie here. That's all right. But it's two good hours as opposed to like the terrible hour and ten minutes of the other the the package films as they're currently configured. You'll notice I don't have anything from the Three Caballeros. Yeah, and you also don't have uh, either of the Fun and Fancy Freeze. I um, think we discussed this last month and decided not to put them in there because they're they're both half an hour long. Yeah, they're both quite long. Um, and um, and, and Mickey and the Beanstalk depends on the narration from the um, interstitials by uh, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Sneed. Yeah. Well, it doesn't it doesn't? Because when I was a kid, there was a version that we had. Yeah, they of, they redubbed they redubbed yeah, they, the, which and was then, a, a smart move. Yeah, and it had Sterling Holloway, and I wish they'd put it on Disney Plus because. Do they have the the Edgar? Uh, Bergen version on Disney Plus, or do they just uh, not have it up there at all? No, they have Fun and Fancy. Fun and Fancy Free is on Disney Plus. The movie that's not on Disney Plus is the one you were just mentioning with with Johnny Fedora. What oh. is that? Make, make mine music or melody? I think movie? that one's Melody Time. Melody Time. Yeah, that is the only one in the canon that is not on Disney Plus. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why you should buy physical media. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, the worst thing, let me just say this while we're on that topic, is uh, Flora and Ulysses was a made-for-Disney-plus movie that now has been removed from Disney-plus. So there was never even any physical media to have. And that was a really cute movie. I really enjoyed it. And it's gone forever. Like it's. I wonder why they removed it, what what the idea was. Yeah, I guess they're trying to save money or something. I don't know. But. I wonder how much I like. Do you have any sense of how much money it costs to keep something on Disney Plus? I feel like it can't be that much. I wouldn't you know? think like so. Storage is so cheap these days. I don't know. That's very weird to me. Very weird. Maybe they don't want like a reminder of their earlier up there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I don't. I I liked it. But that was again. That's that was a smaller, weirder movie if ever there was one. So, yeah. All right. Okay, Michael, how do we want to do this? This is the the final ranking of all the movies. <laughs> how do we do it in a way that doesn't make it uh, terribly tiring for our listeners? So, so we've each uh, we've each five tiers, is that right? Yeah, I have five tiers. Yes, but my top tier yeah, is kind of split into two because I think there's like there's there's just there's there's the really 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 great ones, and then there's you know really good. so it's it's technically six tiers, but it's it's five tiers that have been. The, the top tier has been split into two. So. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't split it, but I do have it ranked. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's that's kind of splitting it. I say we just uh, go through our tiers and uh, each one of us reads the list. And if we want to argue about anything on it, we can. But we'll each go through the, we'll do tier five, then we'll do tier four. You know, each of us will we'll do work tier the five, then each of us will. Okay. Right. And, and uh, we'll go slowly so that our, Listeners who want to uh, write down our picks in order can can do so. I'm sure I'm sure everybody's got their little golf pencil out. Yes, and they're ready to go. They're ready. Okay. So you, do you want to start with tier five? Sure. Okay, tier five. I called this tier "Fun on the Range" is what I called it, and I uh, I would say that the the movies in this tier are movies that I will never watch again. 
without some, I mean, without some sort of particular purpose to it, you know, like, like if there was some sort of like, like, like we did for this, this show, you know, like if, if somebody invites me onto a podcast to discuss uh, the Fox and the Hound, for example, you know, like maybe I would do it depending on how much I liked that person. Um, and then I would rewatch it, but otherwise, <clears throat> so um, these are the movies I'm never going to watch again. Home on the Range. I'm starting at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I'm working my way up. <laughs> Home on the Range, Strange World, Zootopia, which I know is going to be, I mean, that one's highly ranked on um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, but I just. They're I, making a sequel. I, I just, I, I hate You know it. we're going to have to talk about that sequel one day. We are. One day. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, Three Caballeros, Make Mine Music, Melody Time. Brother Bear, Fox and the Hound, Saludos Amigos, Dinosaur, Chicken Little, Chicken Little, The Aristocats, and Fun and Fancy Free. Wow. Every single one of my tier five movies is on your list, although not every single one on your list is in my tier five. What? <laughs> so I I went through and on my list here, I bolded it while you were talking, if you said one. Okay. Um, so, and Every single one is bolded, but then you also said one that I do not said one that I do not have in the bottom. Okay, all right. You have way more in the bottom than I do. Well, I just split them evenly. I just oh, I see. I did a bell curve. Oh yeah, there's like twelve. So I have the most in tier three, and then tier two and tier four have about the same amount, and tier five and tier one have about the same. That's fair. And what I will say is beyond beyond the top tier and the bottom tier, it really is more like a bell curve. Like I could be argued into moving these movies around pretty pretty easily, but yeah okay okay so here's my tier five and i can't believe you put the aristocrats in there aristocats in there but it's definitely in my tier five well you know the thing about that movie is it's a very fun movie and it is a movie that my kids like so if my kids want to watch it then that would be reason for me to watch it but i would never like go out of my way to ever watch that movie on my own you know gotcha so so i have the aristocrats brother bear chicken little dinosaur the fox and the hound home on the range Strange World, The Three Caballeros. It doesn't sound like we're going to disagree about any of that. Oh, yeah. No, definitely not. So let me move up to my tier four. Okay. Atlantis, The Black Cauldron, Bolt, Frozen 2, The Mini Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Oliver and Company, Salados Amigos, The Sword in the Stone, Tarzan, Treasure Planet, and Zootopia. Now, Zootopia is a morally reprehensible movie, but it's very imaginative. It's very well done. <laughs> I could not justify putting it in tier five just for pure aesthetic reasons, but I do hate it. Yeah, I understand. And that's why I clarified, like, this is just a movie I'm never going to watch again. You know, right. Like, right. And I, I, I tried to put tier five uh, movies that had very limited value, right. if any at all. So like a movie like Dinosaur, I think just there's nothing to be said for it or like yeah. Home on the Range. There's the the music in, in Home on the Range is pretty good. But other than that, it's it's just not a very good movie. Tier four was stuff that I could see what they were trying to do. I wanted to reward their um, I wanted to reward their ambition, um, but it just doesn't work. And uh, tier four, honestly, are movies that I don't have a whole lot of desire to watch again. Right. So that's why I would put Solo Dos Amigos there where the Three Caballeros is in tier five, um, because right. like there's not a short in the Three Caballeros I care to ever see again. Whereas at the very least, Solo Dos Amigos has that really remarkable uh, watercolor of Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And I would rewatch that. I just don't think I'd sit down and rewatch the whole movie. <laughs> gotcha. So so what do you got in tier four? 
Okay, um, so the one I'm really the one you broke my heart on was Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Oh man, just don't like Winnie the Pooh, man. I know, I know, but I, 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 I mean, I obviously do. We talked about that already this this episode. Okay, um, I've got Rescuers Down Under, Oliver and Company. Shoot, I did not put Rescuers Down Under on this list. This is where it goes. I would put it in tier four as well. Yeah, Sorry, okay. go ahead. No, that's fine. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, not Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, but Winnie the Pooh, that the the more recent one. Um, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Frozen, Frozen 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. This one I know I'm going to hurt you on, Michael, but Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. It's Oh! Um, great Mouse takes. Detective. <laughs> Fantasia 2000, Treasure Planet, Tarzan. Wow. But what I will, so what I will say... <laughs> <laughs> in in some defense is like i said it is more of a bell curve like some of these i could easily move around and for by the time i got to this tier it was really the leftovers of the movies i like really wanted higher you know so like i kind of really want adventures of Vicabot and mr toad higher except i don't have all the nostalgia for it that you did because i didn't watch it a bunch of times as a kid and yeah, i couldn't fair. and i couldn't think of what i wanted to drop down you know lower so <laughs> so there it landed that's where it is i i did i did force myself into a bell curve um so i i i, I did have to move stuff around based on that so i, I did I, I thought it would be good to have some sort of limitation on my natural impulses yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so tier four ones you might watch again oh yeah definitely i i think and this is actually the strength of the disney company is I split these into, you know, there's 61 movies that we reviewed or watched or whatever. There's 61 view- movies in the in the canon. And so, you know, there's 12, basically 12 in each category. I can't remember which one got 13 in it. Um, and that was, you know, my way of limiting things. And it got really difficult. You know, the, like there's there's enough good movies out of that 60 that it got really hard, you know, trying to sort them out. So I will say that. Like there there there's a lot of movies in here that that – you know that I would definitely watch again, for sure, and enjoy watching again. Not just watch again, but enjoy watching again. But you got to land somewhere when you're ranking. Yeah, you got to you know, land somewhere. They got to land. Put everything at the top. Yep, something something's got to be number forty. <laughs> like it's just got to happen. <laughs> All right. Why don't you do your tier three? Okay. So what's funny is there was a couple that I kind of like when you said them, but they're in my tier three. It's not like they're super high. So uh, Pocahontas, Bolt, which I think you had in your tier four, uh, Sleeping Beauty, Lady and the Tramp, Black Cauldron. Sleeping I Beauty. Know, I know. <laughs> Again, I just I don't have the nostalgia for it. Like, I just don't, you know. It is a beautiful, beautiful movie. I just don't have the, the nostalgia for it. I think, I think we're done here. <laughs> that's okay i'm gonna break your heart on this too that's number okay. three uh hercules meet the robinsons sword in the stone many adventures of winnie the pooh fantasia snow white and the seven dwarves and the rescuers well All maybe re- not because i thought the rescuers was the one that was going to yeah. break you me putting no, it in tier three the, the rescuers is a really good movie but again like some movies gotta be number 25 you know like there's yeah. Like it's just it's not I I love the rescuers but it's not I don't think it's in the top twenty five of the movies they've made. Well, and and here's here's where the bell curve 
like prevents great inflation. The truth is, if I were grading these, most of these tier three movies would probably be B level movies. They're not C, which is what tier three makes them sound. Right. Y- you know, but um, like you say, something's got to be number twenty five. So I've got Alice in Wonderland, Dumbo, and I moved Dumbo down at the last minute. I had too many in tier two, and I, Dumbo is the one that could move. Mm-hmm. Encanto, Fantasia two thousand, Frozen. Fun and Fancy Free, The Great Mouse Detective, Hercules, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Make Mine Music, Meet the Robinsons, Melody Time, Mulan. I apparently like the package films more than you. Peter Pan, Pocahontas, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Raya and the Last Dragon, The Rescuers, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and Winnie the Pooh. Now, I don't know that I liked the new Winnie the Pooh better than many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, but I think I wanted to reward it for being a 2D film at a time when 2D films were not popular. And so I think I bumped it up to tier three because of that. That's fair. And it is the last of the 2D films. So <laughs> there's a lot, there's that for it too. So... Okay, so I think it's going to be interesting when we get to the top because I feel like you. You've already put several of the ones I had at the very top. Okay, yeah, I was going to say because you, well, you keep putting kind of like one, like one movies that are in my tier two are in your in your tier three, you know? Yeah, and and did it well. You had Ichabod, Mr. Toad in tier four. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and and Sleeping Beauty. I know. I knew when I put Sleeping Beauty there. I was like, oh man, that's really. You were just you were just being provocative. I I, yeah, that's me, Mister Provocative. (laughs) Um. All right, here we go. Alice in Wonderland, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Wreck It Ralph, Big Hero Six, Emperor's New Groove, Mulan, Pinocchio, Dumbo, Peter Pan, Aladdin, Raya and the Last Dragon, and. The Little Mermaid, which again, all the moral difficulties, but I couldn't. I, I I've got too much attachment to it. <laughs> I couldn't knock it lower. We, I think we we have a lot of overlap in tier two. So I've got The Adventures of Ichabod, Mr. Toad, Aladdin, Big Hero Six, The Emperor's New Groove, Fantasia, Lady and the Tramp, Lilo and Stitch, The Little Mermaid, Pinocchio, Princess and the Frog, Tangled, and Wreck It Ralph. Uh, those are movies that I would call really great by any um, by any evaluation. So like, there's no there's no shame to being in tier two at all. Oh yeah, for sure. They're just not like my favorite ones. And right. again, bell curve. Oh yeah, I forgot to do my names. I'm sorry. I did my name on my very first one, Fun on the Range. Okay, tier four was Ralph Breaks the Company. Um, Tier three was Meet the Many Rescues and Adventures. <laughs> and tier two was The Little Hunchback's Last Big Groove in Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to do tier one now. Now, tier one, obviously my favorites. And these I actually ranked in order. So the other okay. ones I gave to you in alphabetical order. My tier one, I'll start from my least favorite of my favorite and move up from there. Okay. 101 Dalmatians. Cinderella. Moana. Bambi, The Jungle Book, Robin Hood, The Lion King. And boy, did I go back and forth on which one of those I would put above the other one. And it's so funny because they're like opposite movies. Yes. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. And then Sleeping Beauty is my number one. So you'll notice I have four princess movies in my tier one. I don't know what that says about me. 
That is very interesting. That is very interesting. Okay, so we're, yeah, we, we do have a lot of overlap here. And what's really funny is Robin Hood and the Lion King, I have Robin Hood one below the Lion King also. Like, that's, and I that's... also, same thing, went back and forth and back and forth and ended up putting it that way. You just, like, you can't deny the animation in the Lion King. And the, the music is so is, good. Yeah, the Lion King is really, really good. Okay, so here's here's my my tier two and tier one. Or, sorry, my tier 1.5 and my tier 1. <laughs> so, because I think tier... Well, I'll, I'll say when I get there. So, the, the bottom of tier 1 is The Princess and the Beauty and Stitch. It's Encanto, The Princess and the Frog, Tangled, Lilo and Stitch, Moana, Beauty and the Beast. I think those are all just A-plus movies. But they're still the bottom of tier 1 because then... The one true king, which doesn't make any sense because there's six movies listed here. But <laughs> the like, six true kings. The six true kings. Like these movies, I think they're just once you get talk to talking about these six movies, you're not just talking about ranking Disney movies, but you're talking about like ranking movies. You know, right, like, right, yeah. Right. These are ones like, that would like are, stand up against, you know, whatever. Yeah, 2001 yeah. oh that's an art movie so it's a little different right yeah yeah obviously none of these are art movies but like these ones they, these ones i feel like stand up against whatever you want to you know whatever They're, like when you're these are just like go-to movies like you can go to and, and, and love them so it's uh cinderella robin hood the lion king the jungle book 101 dalmatians and bambi which i think is the closest to their art film yeah i think i think that's probably right that bambi is bambi is almost an art film yeah in its, in its way and that's the and i went back and forth and back and forth between bambi and 101 dalmatians and that's that's the reason bambi got the the top top spot for me is because it's the closest to an art film it's interesting that like bambi and 101 dalmatians are kind of opposites the way the lion king and robin hood are opposites exactly yeah and that's what I meant back in, our, you know, what should Disney uh, hang on to or what should they abandon? Like the variety, like, yeah, you know, look at the variety in that top six for me or in yours, you know, like, um, like I've got a princess movie. I've got, you know, uh, I've got musicals. I've got non musicals, you know, like it's um, yeah. So I will say for art movies, Sleeping Beauty has a animation style based on the Bayou Tapestry and a score based on Tchaikovsky. So, Tchaikovsky. so I mean, they, they're clearly shooting for something there, too. Right. And I need to go back. I know it's a tier you. four movie, but. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> tier three, tier three, not tier four. Um, I need to go back and watch Sleeping Beauty. And then maybe I'd rank it higher. But I, it was really just as I was as I was going through and thinking of the movies, like a lot of this is like, okay, if I was going to watch a movie, what movie would I want to watch? You know, yeah. and like it was yeah. was a lot of it, which is why tier five is movies I just don't even want to watch. Like I have no desire to watch them unless there were, like I said, unless there was like, you know, some like, oh, I want to go watch, I want to go back and watch The Watercolors of Brazil, you know, so I'm going to watch Saludos Amigo. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rewatch Sleeping Beauty and then maybe it'll, maybe they'll jump up up here. Well, I'm going to save this list so that when, when we inevitably have to watch more movies because they keep pumping them out, <laughs> yeah, I can, you can add them, them into the ranking. Yeah, so, and that's the other thing is a lot of mine I kind of did as we went along, um, but then I stopped at some point, and so I had to fill a bunch in. But there was a, there was a there was a time when I was kind of doing it as we went, which which helped. 
but it also hurt because it was like, you know, maybe I don't feel the same way about that movie as I did in the moment that I watched it, you know, so. Well, they've got a new one coming out in November, so I, I, we'll probably wait till it comes out on Disney Plus, but we'll have a new movie episode early next year, I'm sure. Yes. And in the meantime, we're going to start with Grimm's Fairy Tales, although I think we'll probably take a month or two off. Yeah, that sounds good. Josh is starting a new job. You might I am. Want some, uh, yeah. You might want some some time to not think about Disney stuff <laughs> for a little while. Could be. Yeah. But we will be back. So, yeah, so don't don't, don't delete your um don't don't delete your subscription to the show even if uh, even if we disappear for a couple months we will be back at some point to talk about um well, well I'm sure we'll do five or six episodes on uh on Grimm's fairy tales we'll we'll go through them at whatever rate best suits us don't you think Josh yeah, I think so and maybe we'll even I mean I'm just thinking out loud here so you can edit this out but like maybe we'll pop up on your feed with like a 1 minute episode that says what exactly we're going to do so if you want to read along with us you can. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea and I will say the version of the book I think we're going to use I'm ordering it is um it, it's translated by Zimes, is that his name? Zipes, Jack Zipes and it was published by Bantam. So I, you know, you probably don't care about the page numbers, but if you read that, we'll, I'm sure we will go through these in some sort of order based on the order of that book. So listeners, if you want to read along with us, you don't have to, but if you want to, um, Jack Zipes is it's the complete fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm third edition, and it's out of Bantam Press, 800 pages long. Josh, I can't wait. I'm re- I am really genuinely excited about this next phase of our podcast because this is stuff that like i i have a great curiosity about but i can't say like i i couldn't tell you that i was like you know really immersed in fairy tales as yeah same like i don't i don't know i don't know fairy tales really at all yeah i definitely don't know 800 pages worth of them so i'm very i'm very excited about this so so yeah we'll we'll be approaching these as amateurs i'm 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 certainly no folklorist I'm, i'm looking forward to seeing what we um what we stumble upon as we as we go through the Brothers Grimm, and then, um, you know, we'll interrupt that, I'm sure, to talk about Wish. Great. Yes. Well, Josh, do you have any wise words to wrap up? Well, I will say our press liaison is Christian Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs at beforetherewere.live and christianhumanist.org. Um, and I will um, try and post our list there. So if you didn't, uh, if your golf pencil didn't write fast enough, you can look at them. Um, please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at before they were live at gmail.com. And thank you again to everyone who sent in questions for these uh, three wrap up episodes. Uh, we also want to encourage you to set your podcast player dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find some new and an abundance of old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on. So thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Walton for reminding you, don't unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys soon. <laughs>